Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. My name is Lori Morris. I'm a member here at MPC, and I serve in our Embrace Grace and Worship Ministries. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Father, we are grateful that you are the God who has promised to hear us in our time of need and to deliver us that we might glorify you. And so, Lord, we come once again in in this uh, moment where we are in need of you to come and make your word clear to us that we might understand more of what it means to be made in your image and more of uh, the implications of that great truth for, for our lives. So be with us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, equal in his image. That's our title for for the sermon. It's really part two of a sermon that was meant to have been preached just last week, but because of the the snow break was now, now two weeks ago. So let's just remind ourselves of what we began to talk about. We were talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. And we said this truth, be made in the image of God, is on on one hand a very rich, deep, and profound truth. Yet, on the other hand, it's also one that we all kind of intuitively understand. We illustrated this by saying there are seven living creatures in in my household, myself and my wife and our, our four kids and then the cat, Haggis. And we said, if severe financial hardship comes to Clan Forsyth, we all know who's going to be the first to go, right? Haggis the cat is the first one to get kicked out. Now, listen, Haggis doesn't cost me the most money, right? Um, she certainly doesn't cause me the most problems. <laughs> and yet we all know intuitively, I'm not going to kick one of my kids out before I kick the cat out. Why is that? 
Well, because we all know intuitively that humanity, we have been created in a way that's different to the rest of the created order. And the Bible would say, yeah, what you intuitively know to be true is true. You have been created separate from even above the rest of the created order because you've been created in God's image. Well, we went on to ask two questions. We said, first of all, okay, great. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And secondly, what difference does it make? We began to answer this first question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God, by saying two things. First of all, to be made in the image of God means that you uniquely resemble God. You are like God in ways that my cat Haggis is not like God. You have capacities for for wisdom, capacities for uh, the intellect, capacities for grace and so on that the cats and other animals don't have. Secondly, we said not only do you resemble God, but in his image you uniquely represent God here on earth. God has placed us kind of like living statues to be his ambassadors here on earth. So while my cat thinks that she rules and reigns on this earth, we know that that she doesn't. That that responsibility of being God's ambassadors has been given to humanity. Second question, what difference does it make? We said, it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world, but now we said let's narrow the focus just to try and apply this teaching to ourselves, to wrestle with the fact that you have unspeakable value, dignity, and worth because you've been made in God's image. And I was trying to get us, trying to get you to apply this to yourself before we get into the rest of the series. It's, it's a good principle, isn't it? That we, we apply the teaching of the Bible to ourselves before we start worrying about what it means for those people over there. And we said that it's so important for us to understand that when we speak about the glory of humanity, you're not overhearing a message that was meant for someone else. You're hearing a message that was meant for you. You're hearing something that God wants you to know. So yeah, you may have a thousand insecurities. Most of us do. You may never have been happy with your body, with your personality, with your abilities, but God made no mistake when he made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. So yes, it's important to see the image of God in our neighbor, but it's also important to see the image of God in the mirror. And we're going to keep leaning into that as we move throughout this series. Today, though, we're going to continue kind of part two, I guess, from last week by, by, by considering our neighbor, by considering, okay, if it's to change how we think about ourselves, how does this truth also change how we think about other people? And we need to do this because the text makes clear that we've all been created in God's image. The image of God isn't something that belongs to some people but not to others. Rather, it's something that belongs to us all. Look at verse 26 where God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, the Hebrew word here for man is the Bible's generic term for humanity. It will be used later as a kind of proper name for Adam, but here it refers to humanity as a whole. God is announcing his intention to create all of humanity equal in his image. Then verse 27, so God created man, humanity in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. See how God spells this out for us? Yes, verse 26, 
all of humanity will be made in my image. And lest there be any confusion, verse 27, men and women will each individually be made in my image. So we are going to talk about the differences between men and women. Plan right now is to talk about men next week um, and talk about women the week after. I'm going to need a sabbatical, right? Um, and some of you all are going to be like, yeah, he can take one, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, right? Um, embrace the awkwardness of the family, right? But today, the part, point, point today isn't to get into the differences. We'll get, we'll get to that. The point today is actually to, to highlight the equality. The equality that exists between men and women as created in the image of God. The equality that exists amongst all humanity as made in the image of God. Every soul bears his image. Everyone you have ever met or ever will meet bears the image of God. And so we need to wrestle with what it means to treat our neighbors as image bearers. Now, the way we're going to attack that this morning, okay, is... I'm going to give you 10 examples, right? 10 ways in which the image of God should change the way we think about particular issues. Now, I want want you to sort of understand why we're doing this. First of all, I hope that, in a sense, some of these 10 things will be helpful in and of themselves, just teach us how to think about the image of God relative to some important issues. But but really, the, the larger hope is that in looking at these 10 things, we'll start to understand how the image of God should be the lens through which we view everything. So I hope that in learning to think about these 10 issues, we'll actually learn how to think about all the issues that that we face um, in life and how to apply the image of God to, to them all. Appropriate thing for us to be wrestling with this MLK weekend, the Sanctity of Life Sunday, this weekend of of the Women's March, for us to be wrestling with how do we view our neighbors with the value, dignity, and worth they have as image bearers of God. You ready? Ten things. Number one, because of the image of God that we care about racism. It's because of the image of God on this MLK weekend that we care about racism. So understand, lots of people care about racism and they ought to care about racism. But the reason why we care about racism as believers in Jesus Christ is unique and distinct because we care by virtue of the image of God. No doubt familiar with the famous Dred Scott case of 1857. Scott sued for his freedom as a slave. He he sued for his freedom and the freedom of his wife and children. The Supreme Court uh, voted 7-2 to against him, ruling that as an African-American, he did not have the rights to citizenship or even to the justice system that would go with citizenship. Well, there were two dissenting votes, and one of those dissenting votes came from Justice John McLean. Listen to what he said in his dissent. A slave is not mere chattel, a mere possession. He bears the impress of his maker, and he is destined to an endless existence. Do you see his logic? He's saying, um, a slave, a slave... They're made in the image of God. Dred Scott may be from a different place. He may be of a different race, but he is, he is made in the image of God. And as such, he, by definition, cannot be a possession. 
He is intrinsically inherent within him, has the image of God, and is therefore worthy of a value, dignity, and respect that would uh, allow him to be free. And so the Bible teaches that there is no nation, tribe, people, or language that is in any way superior to the other, even the Scots, right? No nation, no people, no language or tribe are superior to the other. We're all made equal in his image. Now, this has huge implications for a whole host of issues. This has huge implications for how we interact with people who look different to us. It has huge implications for how we might honor minorities. It has huge implications for how we would think about refugees and immigrants. I'm telling you what your political policies should be, but I'm saying that whatever they are, they better be informed by the fact and do justice to the fact that all men and women from every single people, nation, language, and tribe have been made in the image of God. And that one day, people from every single nation, tribe, language, and tongue are going to gather around the same throne and we're all going to worship together. And I want to treat those of different races now in a way I'm not going to regret then. Be made in the image of God leaves no room for racism. Number two, it's because of the image of God that we care about, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, abortion. Abortion, now again, can we just emphasize, look, the evil of abortion is not based on politics. This isn't a political reality, this is a theological reality. The evil of abortion is based on the fact that we've all been made in the image of God. Now, in recent years, scientific research has only served to strengthen our conviction that life begins at conception. From that very moment, the fertilized egg contains everything, the DNA strand and all the genetic information that it needs to grow into adulthood. From the moment of conception, all we have is growth and maturation. And so to end a life in the womb is to do exactly that. It's to end a life in the womb. It is evil. It is wicked. And the voices of those who have lost uh, will never be heard here on earth. But having souls that will exist into eternity, their voices will testify there. It's because of the image of God that we care about abortion. Speeding up a little bit, it's because of the image of God that we care about special needs. Um, highly accurate prenatal screening can reveal Down syndrome in utero. In the country of Iceland, around 85% of expectant mothers uh, you know, have these tests, and near 100% who discover that their child has Down syndrome terminates that life in the womb. The net result is that in the country of Iceland, every year, on average, only one or two children are born annually with Down syndrome. Here's the problem. Our sisters and our brothers with special needs are made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God. And their value to us is not based upon their cognitive capacities, their ability to generate wealth, or even their ability to care for themselves. They have inherent value, dignity, and worth by virtue of the fact that they are made in the image of God. God. Their worth is fixed, it is immutable, and it is glorious because they are like him. 
And so for those in our flock with special needs and for the families of those with special needs, your presence in our family makes our family better, our life together richer. We even learn things about God through you that we wouldn't learn without you. We're grateful that you're here because you are also in his image. Three, uh, four, sorry, four. It's because of the image of God, number four, that we care about sexism. Now, as I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to get into the differences between men and women. The point today is that these differences have nothing to do with any kind of superiority or inferiority. The differences between men and women that they exist and that they can be biblically understood for our own flourishing have nothing to do with a priority for one or a superiority to one or any kind of inferiority belonging to another. Men and women have been made in the image of God. So this has some relational implications. Men, we got to learn to treat our sisters as fellow image bearers. We've got to push back against a culture that would encourage us to view them as kind of overly emotional on the one hand or as mere sexual objects on the other hand. Women, we've got to learn how to treat our brothers as, as fellow image bearers in Christ and push back against that cultural pressure that would have us view all men as oppressors on the one hand or as kind of like idiot Neanderthals on the other, right? Now, man, we've got, we got to help our sisters with that one, okay? But... <laughs> We've got to be about that work together. The equality of personhood has, yes, interpersonal uh, implications, but some societal ones too. When we think about access to education or employment opportunities or equal pay for equal work and a whole host of, of other issues, it is absolutely wrong for one gender to feel superior to, marginalize, or take advantage of the other gender in any way. Why? because we've all been made together in the image of God. Five, it's because of the image of God that we care about this thing the Bible would call stewardship. Now, when we think about stewardship, we're looking at the verse, you see it there, that says that we are to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, that God has placed us on this earth and called us to work for the welfare and flourishing of humanity. This has some immediate implications for our work. It gives our our work value and meaning as we seek together to forge a a better society through whatever it is that you do. Whether that's education or manufacturing or healthcare or child rearing or economics or the arts or technology or government, whatever it is you do, connect the dots from what you do to how it is promoting the welfare of our society and you'll have a reason, a biblical reason, to get up in the morning. Of course, this idea of stewardship doesn't just have immediate implications for our work. It also has some longer-term implications as we seek to steward this world for the next generation. So all of us should care about food production and climate change and global warming. Again, I'm not telling you what your political policy should be. I'm saying we got to care about how we steward this world for the generations that are going to follow us. Number six, it's because of the image of God that we care about poverty. We care about poverty. Uh, In our county, not our country, in our county, in Fairfax, uh, there are about 60,000 people, men, women, and children, who live below the poverty line. Do you know that here in McLean, right? McLean, just 
always think of it as just this like uber rich wealthy area and and it is and 2.6% of McLean's population lives below the poverty level that one surprised me uh, in our county we have currently 3,000 homeless in this weather globally we have 1.6 billion with a B people who lack the financial resources to access basic necessities like food and clean water and you know all of these numbers like they're all they're all a face every statistic tells a story the story of someone who's made in the image of God and we should care we should care that fellow image bearers are hungry and we should care that fellow image bearers are cold and we should care that 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 fellow image bearers are getting sick Jesus said that we will always have the poor with us And so we must always care about ministering to them. We must always care, whether it's in our personal ways or even in our vocational callings, we must always seek to care for our sisters and brothers who've been made equal to us in his image. Number seven, it's because of the image of God that we care about Violence. Now, violence is a little bit of a catch-all category that I'm using to get at a few ideas here. I want to start with a caveat that I'm not, you know, not really talking about just war. I'm not talking about protection of the innocent. The image of God would call us to do those things as well. I'm more talking about the kind of um, words or actions that damage our neighbors and strip them of their God-given dignity. So again, this has personal implications. How do we speak to one another in the privacy of our homes? Do we speak to one another with the honor that's due to an ambassador of the king? Or do we speak to one another like we're, we're dirt? How do we interact on the playground? How do we threaten or even perpetrate acts of physical violence? Of course, there's some cultural implications of this too. It's because of the image of God that we should desire to have a criminal justice system and that we should celebrate those who enforce it. And it's because of the image of God that we should seek criminal justice reform and condemn any act of police brutality. The image of God has profound implications for how we ensure that we defend and indeed promote the dignity that dwells within every member of the human race. Number eight, it's because of the image of God that we care about slavery. Now understand, when talking about slavery, I'm not talking about historical slavery. It's a good conversation to be had there, especially relative to the image of God. But what I'm really talking about now is the 40 million slaves that are alive today. The 40 million slaves that are alive today, that's more slaves than at any other time in human history. It kept in homes, in brothels, on boats, in factories, used for profit and perverted pleasure. I've told you this stat before, but I, still, I, I just can't get over it. That the estimated annual profits from human trafficking industry exceed that of Microsoft, Apple, Samsung, BP, and Exxon combined. An incredibly large industry. Back to 1857 and Justice John McLean, a slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker and he is destined to 
an endless existence. And friends, don't, we just want to be a people who are awake to the evil that's in our world. Awake, alive to the wickedness that plays out not just globally. Human trafficking is a, is a local issue too in some, of our, in some of our own communities as well. And we don't want to be so cozy, so sleepy, that we're not alive to and concerned about the horrors that are perpetrated against fellow image bearers of God. Two more, we're closing in. It's because of the image of God that we care about pornography. Pornography. Um, okay, so pornography is wrong for a bunch of reasons, but primary amongst those reasons is the fact that it dem- denigrates the image of God in men and women by reducing them to mere objects of physical pleasure. It denigrates the value that they have by reducing them to soulless objects of pleasure. In reality, the people on that screen have names and mothers and fathers and children and friends. They have hopes and fears and dreams. And they have souls that have been created in the image of God. And if we knew their backstories... (laughs) The backstories of many of those who find themselves working out in this profession. If we knew about the abuse they have suffered, if we knew about their desperation and their despair, then we would never be aroused, but would be heartbroken and horrified about what it is they're doing with their lives right now. Heartbroken and horrified. Church, listen, understand. It's all about the why, okay? You sort of expect your pastor to say, like, pornography is not a good idea. But understand the why. It's not because of some, like, puritanical prudishness, okay? Sex, glorious gift from God, created for pleasure in the context that he has designed it, right? We could talk more about that another day, too. That's not why I'm, I'm, not, that's not why I'm, I'm condemning pornography. I'm condemning pornography because of the image of God, because we refuse to reduce men and women who have value in his image to mere playthings. It's for this same reason that we'd be uh, you know, outraged by sexual abuse or prostitution or by the, you know, the whole Me Too movement. These things are, are evil and damaging because of uh, the wickedness that is done to precious souls who've been made in the image of God. It's quite a list, right? It's because of the image of God that we care about racism, abortion, special needs, sexism, stewardship, poverty, violence, slavery, pornography. One more, and you should know what it is. It's because of the image of God that we care about grace. It's because of the image of God that we care about grace. Why? Because we haven't honored the image of God in ourselves or in our neighbor. The reality is, as a church family, friends, as a church family, we've made a mess of all of the above. All of, everything I've said and, and more. But as a family, we, we have felt superior to people who don't look like us. Now we're in this strange cultural moment where there's a lot of division and a lot of racism in our nation, and yet racism is also one of those things that you would never dare admit to. Huge social pressure against saying that you've harbored that kind of prejudice on your own heart. I'm just saying we all have that within us. And I almost sort of laugh and say, what, you think you're just completely free from that sin? 
It's naive. It's foolish. Of course, all of us have looked down on people who don't look like us. As a church family, yeah, we've had abortions. We have. As a church family, we've neglected those with special needs and looked down on the opposite gender and failed to steward our resources and care about the poor and we've done damage to our neighbors and we've been passive about global slavery and other evils and we've given ourselves to pornography and more. Um, We all stand on level ground because we're all created in the image of God. But we also all stand on level ground because we've all sinned and fallen short. And it's because of that, it's because of the ways that the image of God has been defaced in us that we're so grateful and care about this thing called grace. (laughs) This thing called grace, that Jesus, the image of God himself, came to redeem those who've been made in his image, offering forgiveness full and free for all of our failures, including all of the ways that we've failed to live up to honoring the image of God. So listen, you, gotta, you just gotta hear, you just got to hear this. That the Bible would say, Christ has come and you can't out-sin his grace. So you may, you may have been racist and there's grace for that. And you may have had an abortion. There is grace for that. And you may have got caught up in pornography or a host of the other things we spoke about. And there's still grace for that. That Jesus forgives us full and free and then enables us to begin a new life of joyful obedience. A new life where we put those things behind us and start to live more fully into what it means to be made in the image of God. If you're feeling the burden, if you're feeling the weight of your shame, um, cast that upon grace. Because Jesus carried it. He bore it on the cross He rose again. It's done with. It's a new day and a good day to follow Jesus. And you're free to do so in his grace. Okay, I'm out of time. It's because of the image of God that we care about these 10 things. Racism, abortion, special needs, sexism, stewardship, poverty, violence, slavery, pornography, grace, and more. Um, What would you add to the list? What do you wish had been on my list? Talk about it in your community groups together. The challenge for today is that we should all care about all of these issues, not because of politics, not because it's popular, not because of some vague sense of like cultural positivity, but because of the image of God. Incidentally, if you you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, let me ask you, um, why do you care about these issues? I'm, I'm not saying that you don't. I suspect that that, that you do, but my question is why? Because you know, like a, a strictly materialistic worldview, like that doesn't give you any reason to care about special needs children who are, who are aborted. And a strictly materialistic worldview doesn't actually give you motivation to care about the poor slave girl in the slum of Mumbai. And a materialistic worldview doesn't really give you any reason to care about the woman who's working in pornography. And yet you do care And I wonder why. Could it be the reason you care is because you intuitively know already what's been revealed to you in God's word. That you care about these things because you and your neighbor have been made in the image of God. And that God who made you this way 
calls you to himself. There's, there's grace for you too. There's grace for us all. If you are a Christian, if you would you decide yourself as a Christian, then look, we just must care about all of these issues and learn to have this lens for life. It's why our church partners with pregnancy centers and homeless shelters. It's why we started Project Belong so foster kids can find a home. It's why we go into nursing homes to, to minister to senior citizens. It's why we have a deacon's fund to help the poor. It's why we support IGM and the work they're doing in global slavery. It's why we do so much of what we do as a church and why we need to keep on doing it. We also want this, this lens of the image of God to begin to animate our, our personal lives as well. You know, it's okay. It's, it's even a good thing that you might feel a particular burden for one of these things. Personally, sometimes people have a particular passion for the abortion question or, or maybe the racism question or, or perhaps uh, the homelessness question. That's, that, that's fine and good. Professionally, some of you will be called to work in, in particular areas, poverty, criminal justice, food production, all that good stuff. What I'm suggesting is, though, that because of the image of God, we should all care about all of these things. The image of God must become the lens through which we learn to see the world. Not just ourselves when we look in the mirror, but also outside when we look at our neighbors. C.S. Lewis, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. See the image of God in you. See it in the mirror. And see the image of God in others. See it in your neighbor. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, each of these topics um, deserves a sermon of its own. Uh, but Lord, we, we work through them because we want to see just the far-reaching implications of what it means to be made in your image. And so Lord, I pray that we as a people would really, we, we as a church, uh, would be, we'd be wrestling with this, with what it means that you have made us in your image and that you made no mistakes and what it means that you've made others in your image, and we're called to interact with with them accordingly. So give us um, grace and wisdom to apply these areas to, to our lives more and more. And just, I pray for that lens. Would we find ourselves, uh, catch ourselves thinking about others in this way, and because of what your word has revealed to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.